Robert Dunn here, one of the hosts of the All Black Podcast. The podcast talks to some of the greats of the game, the characters, the players, the coaches, and hopes to give you an insight into our national game. Today we talk to Black Ferns, Alicia Pearl Nelson and Annalise Blackwell. In the first half of the show, we talk about the inaugural Super Rugby Wahini match between the Blues and the Chiefs, playing against friends in the Barbars versus the Black Ferns at the end of the 2020 season, the postponement of the World Cup and where we're currently at with the tournament. In the second half of the show, we talk about the girls' careers, the early days, the journey for two of our most experienced female players, balancing rugby with their professions and the highs and lows from their Rugby World Cup experiences. Enjoy the pod, listen on iTunes, Spotify and anywhere you get your favourite podcasts. <laughs> yes boy, you've got to enjoy that. It's McKenzie's face again, gets the pass away for Welcome to the All Black Podcast. I'm your host, Robert Dunn. A couple of special guests today because it's a special occasion on the weekend. It's Thursday here in central Auckland, but on Saturday, we've got the first Super Rugby Wahine game, which is pretty exciting. And to talk about that, a couple of great guests, a couple of, dare I say, old dogs in the women's game. Can I say that or am I going to get in trouble early doors? But um, Eloise Blackwell, Alicia Peel Nelson, welcome into the podcast. Thank you. Thanks for having us. Yeah, I probably wouldn't say old dogs, maybe... Experienced, experienced. Yeah, yeah. yeah I, like, I like that. Apologies, apologies. And uh, no, nah, but we're really lucky to have you in here because you have done so much already in the women's game. So it seems appropriate to get you guys in um, before the weekend. And let's let's talk about that straight away because it's pretty significant. Um, there's been a number of things happening in the women's game in the last few years, but this is a first. So you guys have been turning out on the Garden of Eden. Um, you know, Auckland Blues versus the Waikato Chiefs. Um, how's the prep been? What have we been doing? Well, we've um, yeah, as you mentioned, it, it's a super significant day. Um, it really does show the progress or the progression that our game has, or how far the game has progressed. And in terms of prep as a team, um, just under a week of <laughs> week of prep together. So it's more so, I guess, treating this week as a camp style. Uh, all the girls have travelled in. We've got players from as far up as Kaitaia, so it's kind of hard to get them to be down here for multiple trainings across however months we've known for. So, yeah, it's been like a camp camp style and it's going well so far. Cool. And there's – because obviously there's a lot of Auckland Storm girls in there and, you know, plenty of people that you're familiar with. You just come off the Far Apartment Cup at the end of the year. But there is a few um, new players or players in from the franchise from North Harbour and Northland. Is that quite cool? Create something a little bit of a different environment, some people who you don't normally train with, you know? Like, is, is that been exciting? Yeah, I think it's pretty amazing um, creating those new relationships and um, being able to train and um, be alongside uh, different faces and uh, showcase uh, new skills and learning new skills from one another. So I think that's been hugely important in creating the Blues because it is a makeup of other teams. It's not solely Auckland. Yeah, totally. And it's, I suppose you're going to rely, you know, probably quite heavily in some of the combinations from the Storm team, but... How are we looking? Like who, when we turn the tally, turn Sky Sport on on Saturday afternoon at four four thirty five, um, who do you who do you think is going to capture our attention? Like where's the strengths for the Auckland Blues team against what you know? As we we're talking about before the podcast started, against the uh, highly rated Chiefs teams by all accounts. <laughs> yeah, well, we we may be a little bit biased, but our team has just come out now fifteen minutes ago, and I think it's pretty fair to say right from. Uh, number one, all the way through to number 15, it, it's pretty star-studded. Um, I guess you start at the front row, got the likes of uh, Crystal Murray, Te Kura Nata, Mate, and Alicia Pearl Nelson here. Like, 
you know, Leash has been, yeah, Leash and Teeks have have played at the top level for many years now, and and Crystal's coming onto the scene, and and she's um she's a force to be reckoned with. Awesome, and Eloise, you're skippering the side, are you? And like you've got a good ding dong as well, isn't it? You're playing in the <laughs> second row. You've got is it Kelsey down in the Chiefs there, who's been a part of the Blackfern side last year as well, and you get to go. Um, did you play together at the end of the year last year and this will be the first time going against each other or do you actually come up against each other in the Farah Palmer Cup as well? Yeah, we've played against each other a few times through FPC and we played alongside each other uh, twice, twice I believe. Um, so yeah, that's going to be a good matchup. but um, I think another going back to people to watch would probably be my locking partner, Maya Roos. Yep. You know, she's fresh on the scene. Now we've been locking together for two years now and... Um, just she's just grown from strength to strength, and I think our, our locking department is is a massive strength for our team. And Kels, um, in China, for um, for the Chiefs, they're going to have a tough day at the office. I think. <laughs> awesome. And what about for the Storm in the backs? You always associate any Auckland team, any Blues team, with a bit of excitement. You know, like have we got some of that in the backs for you guys? Yeah, we've got plenty. Um, we've got Natalia Moores who's um, starting on the wing and we also actually have um, a, a really good player from Harbour out there so Hayley Hutana is another one to watch so we've got some razzle dazzle and um, some really good finishes so it'll be exciting to watch. Awesome and down the road Chiefs country like um, we all do our scouting these days who are we looking out for on the Chiefs side they've got a little bit of experience and that's maybe one of the reasons they're getting favoured by some of the pundits who are picking the score but um, for you girls who are you looking out or who, who are you trying to keep quiet in the game on Saturday? Oh, I think uh, for the Chiefs number one person to keep an eye out for is Kennedy Simon playing at number eight. She had an outstanding FPC last year um, hands down the best player across the country I would say and she she's small in size, but I guess what she brings to the game is, is a whole lot more mongrel and dominance, and she's definitely one we need to keep on top of right from right from kickoff. Yeah, we've got Renee Holmes out the back, and um, she's another one to watch. She's um, had a really good FPC last year and um, has got some really great skills. So awesome! And for you girls, you're a bit more experienced. Perhaps you've had the opportunity, but this this could be the biggest crowd or a really big crowd for some of the girls, maybe some of the younger girls as well and maybe some of the players who haven't played for the Black Ferns because I know you had a big a big crowd for some of the World Cup fixtures but will this probably be the biggest occasion for a lot of the players? Yeah, I think it has the potential to be and uh, it, it's a massive occasion and I guess for us being the more experienced ones in <laughs> um, the team is we just got to get around those young girls and, and um, you know, stay supportive and, and hope that um, their nerves stay in check but you know, you'd be silly to say that no one ever gets nervous before a big game, but it's just um, <clears throat> being able to manage that and turn that into excitement. So, you know, come that first whistle, it's it's all on. That's it, and I know, I think you were lucky enough, and perhaps yourself as well, um, to play, was it the game before the All Blacks in 2019? I think I came along and watched you play Australia at Eden Park as well, was it? And that, that was a crack, and I think by the end of that game there was there was 15,000, 20,000 people in the crowd taking that one in as well. So hopefully it's a similar sort of atmosphere. Yeah, the games kind of merge, merge all into one. I was struggling the to years, figure out yeah. what I've said the right year there, yeah. but I think <laughs> I think it was the pre-COVID year, yeah, where um you played that game um at Eden Park. So you guys will hopefully have that experience to fall back on. So this is um first time round, really exciting um to have um Super Rugby for our Wahini, but hopefully just the start of something, eh? Like there's I heard uh, a few discussions that perhaps maybe. 
Um, next year we might be able to turn this into four franchises we might be able to have four or five games have a competition that runs over four or five weeks that's something to really look forward to and well that I'm sure it's the Farah Palmer Cup is awesome but to have another level to step to before then going on to the Black Ferns has only got to be a great thing for the development of the women's game Yeah I think so I mean getting those um, high quality games is, is really important in the lead up to representing your country so um, being able to come from Farapama Cup and show your talents and, and get on the stage and then be able to represent something in between that in a super competition would be really really awesome and I think they are trying really hard to create a really good competition around that and it's just um, being able to get the, the support and the backing from the franchises and then all coming together and um, putting the product out on the field because it needs to be high quality and we need to be representing those franchises well and showcasing how good the women's game is. Awesome. Well, it's been great to see what I've seen so far. The, the Blues and the Chiefs franchise have been right, beside, right and behind this game. So hopefully um, it's going to be a really nice day um, and encourage some running rugby, some good footy, and, and it is a, a really good spectacle to watch as well. Good luck, girls, for that. Um, go backwards a little bit, like crazy year for everyone last year, like complete madness. And I know a number of um, of the international games were basically cut. But to flick back to Farah Palmer Cup, um, you know, was there some real excitement when you actually got to play that? Because we we're all a bit worried that we might not have any footy um, last year. So to be able to get back with the girls at the Storm and play in the Farah Palmer Cup, you know, one of our greatest players, was it good times? Yeah, it was. It was pretty touch and go for a moment yeah. for the Storm team and. Um, I guess in the harbour, you know, being in a lockdown, it's it's not ideal. And I think going into our first game of FPC, we were coming up against the Naki and we had one training together. So obviously um, it was pretty rusty that game and it kind of took us a few weeks to get into the groove of things. But yeah, we're incredibly lucky to be able to even be playing. And you know, we talked to friends across across the other side of the world in Europe and they aren't even able to assemble as their club team or even as international players. So very fortunate to be able to to have been able to have that FPC and um, and do as well as we did, you know, making the semifinals and, and putting up a, a good fight against the Cantabrians who went on to win it. Um, yeah, pretty cool. Yeah, it was a good comp, wasn't it? Canterbury have got a bit of a stronghold in the title at the moment. We thought for a second there that Waikato were going to knock them over. They all but had, and Canterbury just found a way to win at the end. But you know, looking forward to the end of the season, you think you've got a squad that can perhaps um, you know break the run. I think it's four on the bounce for Canterbury at the moment, and obviously Waikato will be really strong again. Um, but the Storm team's looking good. Yeah, we always look good. <laughs> nah, I think um, there's some huge talent coming through. Yep. There's some amazing girls um, starting right from down low and they're, they're coming up through the um, high performance groups now. So um, it's only going to get better in Auckland and I think that's across the board really. Um, the talent coming through is is kind of is scary, really. Yeah, because um, you're you're in the mix. Like, are you seeing that growth? I know just on a very much on my local level, I got a, two girls and my boys under nineteen this year. It was awesome. First time we've had a couple of female players in our team. They're wicked. Last year we played um, a full female team in our grade, so they played all the boys. There was a whole team of girls from Alataki that did a fantastic job of getting them together. So you're starting to see more and more young ladies playing the game. Are you seeing that as well? You know, are you out and about? Do you do a bit of work with? Ponsonby and some of your local clubs and see some of the girls coming through? Yeah, the the growth from the junior levels is huge and um, myself being a teacher, I help coach the my school team and just the interest around school, it's massive and 
it's not um you know it's right through all the age groups as well which is really awesome and then you've got kids that are asking what's kind of the next step for them post high school which is I think where rugby in general across both boys and girls is lot is where we're losing players so drop off yeah so there's interest now for the next step from them post high school so um it's good it's good to see awesome and we um we'll talk about the world cup in a minute but you know while we weren't over weren't able to get um, international rugby last year for obvious reasons in the end post the Farah Palmer cup you were able to play some possible probables and then go on and play black ferns versus the barbarians like firstly how's it How's it going up against your mates? Probably, you know, like once you got firstly in that possible problems environment where you're, you're effectively battling for a jersey, you know, and then after that into the two teams and you tear into each other again was, you know, I'm, I'm guessing, but is that some of the most intense footy you've played? Because, God, I know, you know, human nature is to go at the people you know <laughs> almost harder than you do the people you don't sometimes. You want that? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, I personally really, really enjoyed it. It's always cool. You love to smashing your mates, is well, that what you're saying? Yeah. Well, <laughs> I actually had a few of my mates on my team, so it was pretty Sweet. good. But um, when you come up a, uh, against the girls that are really close to you, you know what their yeah. their um, like their strengths and their weaknesses are, yeah. and um, it makes it really, really fun and exciting because you you really want to put in a big hit and yeah. and hit them and get them where it hurts and um, I suppose just having that uh, level it was really important for us last year because we needed some good quality games and that was kind of the only way that we could do it without um, travelling overseas at that time so um, I think New Zealand rugby did a really good job at making something for us making a, um, a game or a tournament for us to be able to play some games because after FPC we kind of weren't sure what was going to happen. Yeah, and it was awesome to have them on Sky as well. I know for me, you know, almost doubled my knowledge of the women's game and some of the players in the game really enjoyed, particularly the playoffs part of Farah Palmer Cup and the and the um, Barbarians and the, the Black Ferns game. But and also at that time, you know, we still thought that the World Cup was on this year at that time, so it was crucial, wasn't it, to get some high level footy in before that. But to segue to that, you know, unfortunately, we have had the World Cup postponed. Uh, firstly, tell us about when you heard the news and. And your reaction and, and perhaps how you're able to reset because I know it's such a significant thing on the calendar for any rugby player, um, you know, no matter what the tournament is, whether it be women's, men's, sevens, World Cups, Olympics, Hong Kong's, you know, such a big event. Well, we were actually together when we found out. Um, Ladies, we, eh? Flatmates? Yeah, yeah, we, yeah. Lived, we lived together and we had just finished uh, a sprint session up one of our hills near our house because obviously we were in a lockdown and... Um, yeah, we just finished our session and we were taking the dogs to the park for a walk and the email come through from our management um, to say that there was a potential for, or there's going to be a media release for a proposed um, a, a postponement of the World Cup. Yep. And then I literally like saw the notification and I was like, oh my gosh. And then that's when the news dropped it as well. So it really did come as a shock. We literally had two minutes to, I guess, process it from our email and um, yeah, we kind of just walked around the park being like, what the heck? Like, is this, you know, is this for real? Like we always, it was always in the back of my mind that given the current state of the world that it potentially could have been postponed. But I guess when actually you're given the news, it does um, hit a little bit harder and, you know, got home. And I think I sat outside, outside Leisha's room on the deck for like a good half an hour, just kind of like, 
I didn't even know. I was trying to in shock, process <laughs> in shock, just trying to figure it all out. And yeah, it took a, took a, took a couple of days and um, having to front the media on that day was pretty difficult as well. Obviously, um, emotions pretty raw. You know, it was a complete devastation. But at the end of the day, I still want to wear a black jersey at a World Cup. And so nothing really changes. It's just the goalposts to shift through to another year and however long, October, November 2022. Yeah, definitely. And in my career being a nurse uh, and seeing the devastation from COVID, I guess safety always comes first. And and having to make that decision um, was the best thing at the time. And it, it gives us more time now to prepare and have an even better team. So in the long run, I think um, in the way that the world is, it is the best decision and um, we can only get better. So... I mean, all of us um, have that desire and that drive to want to play and represent our country. So as long as you've had that, you've got nothing to worry about. Awesome. So where are we at? Like, um, what does it look like now? Do we hope to get some games this year, potentially at the international level? And that gives us that good run into the World Cup here in New Zealand next year? Uh, we're still, we've just come out of camp uh, last weekend where we had uh, members from New Zealand Rugby down to kind of keep us updated on what potentially the schedule could look like and they seem pretty positive about some test matches towards the end of the year but in terms of I guess the logistics and and who that may be against it, it hasn't really been finalized so um, fingers crossed and we're hoping that we're going to get some internationals because we can't really go two years without international matches and you know it needs to be of quality so we need to be playing the likes of England and France otherwise we're, we're going to be underprepared heading into that World Cup next year. Yeah, all those other teams have been playing in Six Nations and, and top quality games. So for us to um, be hosting the World Cup and being expecting to put out a good performance, you know, we need those those top tier games. Totally. Well, I hope we're able to get some of those on the schedule so that you can be ready. So it's for, we think it's uh, October, November next year between Auckland and Northland, your hometown. So yeah, I'm sure you have lots of fun now ringing for tickets and, uh, <laughs> you know, but it'll be pretty awesome when, when we do finally get to that big milestone to be able to play in front of friends and family and, and the New Zealand rugby community and showcase what you girls are up to when we get to that point next year. Yeah, definitely. Northland is such a, a hearty mm. uh, rugby supporting community. So um, I can only imagine how excited everyone Everyone's going to be, and I know uh, my family is excited, and and I know there's a lot of work to be done before then, and actually making the team. So um, I know they'll support regardless of what happens around um, selection. But uh, Eloise actually also uh, has <laughs> ties to Northland. She actually her marais in, in Dargaville, so she's she's got the roots of go. the mighty North. Um, so I think uh, everyone's really excited. Um, it would be really cool if there was a little bit more promotion going into it because we haven't heard a lot um, with the postponement and uh, we really need to kind of get behind and um, get it out there so then we have good crowds because um, we need it to be a really, really good tournament. We need to have the numbers. We need to have the women out there. We need to have the girls and the little boys excited for uh, the Black Ferns and um yeah, I just I just think a, a little bit more can be done around that. Yeah, cool. Hopefully that all starts this Saturday with the game, showcasing their skills on Saturday. You know, not too far away, some of the girls that may be in the in the Black Ferns at the Olympics and Farrah Palmer Cup and even hopefully next year, like we said, a, a longer Super Rugby competition as well would be awesome as when it mixed in with some games. <laughs> Lastly, um, 
I saw just sort of announcement recently uh, the WXV, um, which apparently, from my reading, is uh, uh, sort of almost a um, a new international concept and competition that's going to kick in in two twenty three, um, qualifying in sort of June July. The top three teams from that area then go through to the the top tier of six teams, which combines with the Six Nations teams. And I know it's it's very very early days and a lot of details to be finalised, but you know, as a couple of girls have played a heap of rugby for the Black Ferns, another awesome carrot if you're prepared to box on after the World Cup and keep going and try and play, make that as well. That would be pretty cool, wouldn't it, to play regularly against top teams in this part of the world and then in the same year to go off and play the top teams in the Northern Hemisphere as well. Yeah, definitely. Um, the opportuni- opportunities are endless um, post this 2022 World Cup and I think it's just another awesome step in the right direction, you know, the Black Ferns has got such a, a rich history in, in winning, but um, the rest of the world is catching up. So for us to continue with with our skill sets and, and whatnot, we need to be playing these top quality teams so that we can really showcase what we have. And um, yeah, it's exciting times. It, it may even make a few of the old girls consider <laughs> uh, keeping the boots on for another few years just because of how awesome it would be to, to play games. Yeah, I also think that... Um, it's uh, heading in that direction, you know, with the professionalism, with the game, and um, it's only becoming more professional as it um, goes along. And to be able to play such amazing matches um, with big crowds is going to get our name and our brand out there more. So the more we can do that, the more following we will have, and then it will come back down into into the grassroots rugby for us. So um, we need to be out there on the world stage and um, putting our best foot forward and showing, showcasing our skills and then in return for that we will be getting a little bit more famous hopefully. <laughs> Your gram's going to go off the hook isn't it? Yeah, no. My zero followers. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think I've got three but um, awesome first half of the show, thank you so much. Um, really good to get a bit of an update on where, we, where things are at with the professional game or with the Super Rugby game this Saturday and also some of the international stuff. Um, we'll come back in the second half of the show and talk a little bit more about the life and times of you guys and your careers. Awesome first half of the show. Now it's time um, to get into the second half, and it's great to um, have a couple of really experienced Black Ferns and women's rugby players. So it's great to be able to chat to them a little bit about their career. And firstly, girls, like, you know, where did it all start? Like, was it similar to, to a lot of young men start their rugby career down at the local rugby club? Was it brothers, friends? Was it joining into a boys' team? Like, how did it all kick off for you guys? Okay, I'll start. Um, so I'm from Great Barrier Island. Where population's about 800 <laughs> uh, on a good day. So uh, my my rugby journey started off down at one of the local sports clubs, uh, Clara, Clara Sports Club. And there, so there were three primary schools on the island. And on that Saturday, all the kids would just come down and meet at that one spot, which was central on the barrier. And, and we'd pretty much just play like ball rush and scrag and 
and just like have a bit of fun for like three hours on that Saturday and then <laughs> and you'd go off back to school for the week and then you'd all meet up again. And uh, I think I first started there at the age of four and awesome. I was yeah one of one of a few girls. Uh, looking back at the photos now, there's a few of us and, um, you know, those are some of probably the most memorable days, you know, running around in bare feet and yep. the grass is up to your knees and your jersey is, is at your ankles. But you're Smashing just, boys. Yeah, you're having yeah. fun with your mates and, yeah, you get to smash the boys, you get to practice your chip and chases that I'm still <laughs> yet to do um, <laughs> on the field at the moment. But yeah, those are yeah, some real memorable days. Yeah, and I'm from Northland and uh, the local rugby club, Kaihu Valley Rugby Club, was where it was at. And uh, they've got an amazing field with a grandstand and a pub and a marae and a cemetery and a church next to it. Sounds so, like a hub, hub yeah, of the community. Exactly. I mean... It's quite a rural community, so there's um, not that many people. But um, we had amazing times growing up. I think I was about three or four. My dad was the coach. I wanted to copy and be exactly like my brother, so I had to go along and play and think I was really cool following him around. And um, that's where it began for me. Uh, Hugely um, excited dad, you know, about (laughs) rugby. He's... um, 100% 100% into it. I think he was um, the president of the rugby club up there for a little while and awesome. um, still a life member. And I think everyone was very supportive back then. They had huge community members and supporters, so everyone was involved. And there was um, quite a few girls in our club uh, throughout the years, and they all tended to drop off when it got a little bit bigger, like uh, Ella was saying, the, the drop-off after school and stuff like that but I still head back um to that rugby club and it's where it all began for me so I like to head back and give back awesome and it's when did it when did you sort of get into the formalized stuff like you because you're both from smaller places which is another great grassroots um, New Zealand rugby story to see people from those sort of environments and clubs come through and represent our teams at the highest level but was and with the boys teams for a while because of numbers or when did you first get into a full girls team like how does that um how does that journey go for someone like yourself so from from the barrier there's no high school so I had to move off island and I I went down and boarded with a family in Fusianga and we we're pretty lucky down there there were quite God, a lot you've been of in some terrible places haven't you like those, <laughs> those is not the worst place to be I know, have an upbringing I in know. those two joints you know just up, upgrade a little bit from yeah, the barrier yeah, yeah, in terms like of numbers 2,000 people or something yeah. for the younger yeah, yeah. yeah so um, lots of girls interested in rugby at the time um, so year 9 through to year 11 I played for the Mercury Bay Area School first 15 awesome. which was pretty cool at times we had to pull a few players over from Thames Valley High because they were lacking in numbers and we used to travel around Thames Valley and play on a Sunday and I um played up against Renee Whitcliffe one day and I remember I was in year nine and I think she was probably year 12 or year 13 and, and she was just as good back then as she is now uh, and then from from year 11 my journey kind of took a bit of a, a twist uh, ended up getting a, a scholarship to go over to Canada and, and go to school there on an exchange and so when I moved there I was I was like 16 15 or 16 at the time and it was a huge culture shock a huge um a huge shift from small old fitty to this like <laughs> massive boarding school and it was pretty much like Harry Potter and <laughs> I I moved over there and I started playing in the back line because I was that's the biggest. The chip and chase, the yeah. desire to do the chip and chase that Ian <laughs> yeah. Parkham said they comes yeah, from. Yeah, it's where I perfected my fend. Uh, <laughs> that was so like I was the biggest biggest person in the whole team and so I thought I was pretty good because I could run through lots of people and 
um, and they obviously thought I was pretty good and I got offered a, a full scholarship to finish off my schooling there, awesome. which was, yeah, it was so cool. Just the opportunities that I had in Canada to travel all around um, North America and over to Wales and so, yeah, spent a lot of time travelling and playing rugby um, and just, yeah, enjoying enjoying those times with a bunch of, yeah, it was a mixed bag, some Canadians, some Americans, we had some, um, we had a Chinese halfback, she was pretty good. Yeah, like a bit of a random journey, yeah. random twist, and then, yeah, moved back to back to Fiddy for my last, like, six months of high school because um, North America, the schooling's a little bit different. It is, yeah. And um, kind of from there, I, I got invited to a, a trial match versus the, Northern, uh, versus the Auckland team and um, ended up making the Northern Regions team from there and then talking with their coach about where I could uh, play rugby moving into my university days and they told me if I want to kind of go anywhere with rugby I need to be in Auckland that's where the best clubs are and I was told about Ponsonby turned up at Ponsonby and yeah I've played a lot of my day I think uh, eight years at Ponsonby from 2009 and then took a hiatus spent two years at Eden and then moved back to Ponsonby last year controversial we, yeah. very controversial it is a little bit yep but um it was Throw good for me for my growth um on and off the field, I needed to take a break and a, and a step back from there, and yeah, moved back last year where we won the the club um, championship first time in twenty seven years, I believe. Awesome. Yeah, so awesome. yeah, pretty awesome to go back and, and win a title. Northern Hemisphere must have been amazing though, going from Barrier to Fiddy, thinking Fiddy's big, yeah. and then you go to <laughs> yeah. Canada. Like once you'd found your feet, I'm sure it was amazing for your growth. And like, you know, sometimes in you know emerging rugby countries, um, rugby teams can be a bit of a barbarians, you know, a bit of a a merging of different cultures and different people from parts of the world, but it's it's awesome for your social skills, isn't it? It's awesome to meet other people, um, get their perspectives and their different backgrounds. I'm sure it helped you, you know, no end when you're teaching, when you're playing footy, when you're now, because um, that's effectively what a rugby team is, isn't it? It's just a yeah. group of people with very, very different backgrounds coming together trying to get the job done. Because naturally I'm quite shy. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, it was it was pretty difficult. Uh, my first first couple of months I got pretty homesick and, um, you know, we weren't allowed to call our families every day because especially me bringing back to New Zealand, the, the bills yeah. are pretty high. But luckily for Facebook, um, yeah, being able to contact everyone back home. But yeah, incredibly grateful to be given that opportunity because that school was expensive and I wouldn't have been able to afford that. <laughs> A slight uh, step up in the school fees from yeah. Footy Young High School. Yeah. But Alicia, yourself? Yeah, so um, much to my... Um, <laughs> Sounds like you didn't have a choice. The old man was just saying you're going to play footy and that's about it. <laughs> no, I actually got sent to boarding school. Oh, wow. Um, so that was the, the area that I um, wasn't that happy with. But um, <laughs> taking the farm girl, putting her in a city of all girls school, you know, the best thing ever, apparently. Um, so, yeah, I went to Epsom Girls Grammar School, which is where uh, Eloise teaches at the moment. And um, although I hated it at the time... My parents always did say that one day you're going to thank us. And yes, actually, I do thank them for that. <laughs> <laughs> it was definitely the best thing. Um, so that's where I started playing uh, all women's or girls rugby. Yep. So first 15 there. And then uh, I was lucky enough to have some amazing coaches while I was at Epsom Girls. So Emma Jensen was one of my um, coaches for Epsom. And she also brought in Mona Lise Codling and uh, Anna Rich to help oh, out wow. so that's how I Legion. ended up at College Rifles uh, that's where they were all based and 
So I went there as a fourth former and um, got to fit in a couple, like I was pretty big too back then, like I haven't really changed that much. So I um, fitted in quite well, even though I was quite young. And when all the black ferns and all the the stars went away on camp, that was when I'd get my chance off the bench, you know, so I was um, all guns blazing. I was so excited to be there learning from everyone and I was actually a lock back then, so I've upgraded now. (laughs) And... Yeah, I think it's just been an amazing journey at College Rifles. Uh, huge support and um, amazing talent that's come through there over the years. There's um because we were talking a little bit about before we start the interview. You know, you girls are, are contracted, but you're not fully professional. You're still holding down. You're a teacher. You're a nurse. You're having to balance uh, those commitments with trying to be as professional as you possibly can be. Doing a lot of work in the morning, a lot of work in the evenings to get it done. And that creates some real commitment. What drives that? Like for you girls, was it was it some, you know, was it the Farah Palmers and the Anna Richards that you'd seen gone on and play international rugby, or was it you just you just loved it? You loved the um, being involved in the team environment. Like, what pushes you through that? Because, you know, it's I'm sure the Saturdays are great. You know, I'm sure the highs are fantastic. Um, but there's a lot of mahi to get to that point, you know, and and not necessarily for big bucks. Hopefully, that's going to change over the years, and there'll be more opportunities to be a fully professional player like some of our seven girls are but like what keeps pushing you there um I guess for me like something that I was told uh in my early early days um as we've both been really fortunate to to have come through the generation with the likes of those those absolute legends of our game is that you don't need to be paid like a professional to to be a professional and that's something that I think we especially and a lot of the the girls that are our age we try and I guess display as as we go about our business because yes we, we love rugby and um, you know it's it's an opportunity to spend more time with your friends and and play play the game you love but um, you know we do we do it because of of the relationships that you build off the field and and I guess the the characteristics or the things that that the game can teach you like rugby is only your vehicle um, and then it's everything else that you gain from it so. Um, yeah, we're incre- incredibly privileged to have been brought up through that generation with the likes of Linda Etunu and um, Fee and, and Emma Jensen, Casey Robertson, you know, some absolute legends. And um, I guess because that's kind of how it was for them, I guess that we've just continued on. Like, it's a massive balance having to juggle things and it is not ideal having to juggle a full-time job as well as be a full-time semi-professional rugby player but uh, we do it because we love it and we do it because you know we we want to we want to be involved and we want to see the growth yeah definitely and we have been hugely fortunate to have the opportunities that we have had coming through I mean it's been building through previous years so it's only got better over the years but like Alice said that we definitely aim to be as professional as we can be um, with what we have. So we are hugely grateful. We have travelled to so many countries that we would never have gone to yeah. without rugby. So the opportunities that we have had and the relationships that we have made um, from rugby has been huge. And for us to have outside jobs is a positive, I think. So. I mean, your career could be taken away just with one injury. So for us to have something to fall back on and have a really good career after that is um, something that kind of holds firm in our lives. Like that is um, something hugely important and in both of our careers too, I find is really, really rewarding as well. So um, 
we can always give back to rugby throughout the years, but we will always have something else to go back to too. Awesome. But you did push through and you did get to the highest level when you are Black Ferns, which is awesome. Let's talk about your debuts. Um, 2011 and 2012, I'm told. Do you, uh, do you remember the moment when you – did you get a phone call? Was it in a press release? Is it up on a website when you find out? You know, did you think you were going to get in the mix? You know, what was your experience? Yeah, I think I got a phone call. Um, so we're going back a wee while now, 2011, I got a phone call from uh, the Fords coach, Grant Hansen, and all I pretty much heard was, you've made the team to tour to England. And that was pretty much it, all I heard because I was, <laughs> I was so excited. You and screaming. And yeah, yeah. I was um, 20 at the time, so still very young. And I'd come into the environment after a massive exodus of locks um, due to everyone retiring after the 2010 World Cup. And I had huge boots to fill. I remember Vicky Hayway and... Um, Mona Lisa Codling, Vita Dryden, she'd been in that World Cup, but she was still around, so I still had, had the likes of her to help guide me. But I was one of eight deputants in 2011, and it wow. um, wasn't a good year for the Black Ferns. That was the year we uh, we, <laughs> we lost the winning streak, I guess um, you could say. We lost, we played over, we travelled to England, we played two games, we lost both games, and it took me, I guess, three years, I, I think, to get my first one in the black jersey, so... Wow. 2013 down in Hamilton, so I I probably would rank that win in 2013 at nearly as high as my debut for the Black Ferns because it, you know it's it's special to wear the black jersey for the first time, but to get your first win is is equally equally as special. Awesome. Yeah, I also um, well actually <laughs> no, um, I didn't actually get a phone call. They got my number wrong, and I didn't get a call at all. So I was sitting oh, no. there waiting because they said that they were going to call everyone. And then I was waiting next to my phone all day and didn't get anything. So I actually had to um, email (laughs) and find out. So, yes, and then I made the team 2012 and um, hugely exciting, especially for my family. Obviously, I was was very excited too, but um, I don't think you could beat anyone – like my dad, you know, he's pretty full on. And um, they came over to watch me, so that was probably a really special moment in England uh, for my debut. But for me, putting on that jersey and going out, I think it's the haka for me. So being able to perform the haka uh, in front of everyone, uh, that's what gets me emotional. Get all hyped up and then walk off to the bench. (laughs) (laughs) No, it was... um, I was very fortunate, actually, to um, be able to play games off the bench... Uh, when I was named in the team. So we only had um, the right amount of front rowers, so nobody actually uh, was a DD. So I was very, very lucky to be able to um, get some game time and decent minutes too, 15 minutes, 20 minutes. Um, So what a privilege, yeah. Awesome. And the highs and the lows, I know 2014 you spoke about your first season being a tough season and then getting that first win. 2014, you know, and you touched on a little bit, there'd been a real period of success or the Black Ferns at, at major tournaments, and they'd had the streak as well, which is around 24 or 26 games on the bounce mm-hmm. or something, wasn't it? So yep. had that period of success. And then let's talk to 2014 first, because, you know, like all, all really good athletes like yourselves say, sometimes it's it's those those experiences and, and those losses that um, actually you learn the most from. Was that the same for you? You you're quite young then. Yeah, uh, we both were, how were we, 23? We were, yeah, we were both really, really young at the time, and I don't, Looking back, I don't think I actually realised the the magnitude of the situation at the time. Yeah. Um, 
you know, I may have been a little blasé and and maybe across the team we had some, I guess, some subconscious um, complacency, I guess, because we'd been riding on that, that winning cloud for so long and, and you know, the Black Ferns reputation that they have and the legacy that they have that, you know, they, they've won the last four World Cups and what, 26 years of being the champs and then, you know, we head over to France, we've got the team on paper, we've got some you know, some awesome combinations, some awesome players, and then we go out against the Irish and they beat us. And, um, you know, it did come as a massive shock and I just remember the changing room afterwards and I don't know if, if you're the same, but we were standing in a huddle and just looking around you got the likes of, like, people you knew who weren't planning on going forward to another World Cup and just seeing the the devastation in their eyes. That was probably the, I guess, the factor or the thing that I hold on to, I held on to leading into that 2017 World Cup because I, I've had that I had that feeling and, you know, it, it was pretty horrible and I, I never wanted to feel that again. I never wanted to see the looks on um, those old girls' faces having to, um, you know, not, not be able to give them the opportunity to play for a gold medal. That was That was the toughest part. Yeah, I think so too. When you're looking um, around at each other, looking at each other in the eye and not being able to show that you did everything you can, you know, even though at the time we thought we did, we thought we gave everything, but I think there was a lot more there. And um, like Ella was saying with the the complacency, it wasn't, um, we didn't mean it to be like that, but obviously subconsciously, obviously there was definitely something there. And to be able to feel that loss and um, the whole of the country was behind us and expecting us to win, and, and that was the first thing that came out in the media, you know, that we've lost and, and the winning streak is gone. And um, I think that's fueled me, myself, to go forward. I wanted to be a champion after that. I wanted to win games and I wanted to be the best player that I could be. So um, being able to come through that adversity and being able to to rise above that I think has been um, a really good journey and I think it obviously even though we have won the previous one that's that's gone now so it starts all over again and our main focus now is to not feel like 2014 again. The fear factor. Yeah, yeah, yeah. definitely. But let's talk about uh, 2017 because it's, I think it's I think it's fair to say for a lot of the New Zealand rugby public, particularly the final against England, that was maybe um, one of the first times the team was really up in lights, you know, the the game, the massive crowd, wasn't it? You know, like huge crowd there, um, huge viewership as well. I know a heap of people watched it here and it was a hell of a game as well. You know, like I know you guys were determined to, you know, turn things around from 2014, but it wasn't easy. Like uh, there were times in that game I won't, wasn't sure if you're you're going to get over the line, but you you finished really strongly, which was awesome. And it was it was a wicked team as well because it was some old, some new. Some of the girls from the sevens had come over as well, like Portia, and um, you know, was it in that game always under control? You know, that experience there, the belief was there, or actually, um, it was just literally let's roll the sleeves up and just get this done. Yeah, I guess as you said, it was. There were moments in that game where. England did take the lead and they had, you know, there were shifts in momentum. But uh, leading into that game, we had, you know, we had plans for anything that the English were going to throw at us. We had a plan A, a plan B, plan C, all the way through, you know. Like there wasn't um, one aspect of the game plan where 
there was any confusion from any of the girls. Like we were, we were so confident that we had done all the prep that we could going into that game, and and even as the game rolled out, I think they got they were up by like three tries to one or something at one point, and there wasn't a moment in that game where I thought it was ever out of our reach, um, because I just trusted in in the prep and the planning that we had done. Um, and yeah, going into going into the half time, I don't actually remember what was said because I had had my hand stood on and <laughs> it was split open so I could like, my little scar, I could see everything and all I was thinking about was, oh my gosh, how am I going to flush this and get myself um, back, in back into it so I can go for another 40 because yeah, I was definitely in the red, definitely in the red then, um, but yeah, ran back out in the field and and yeah, they just shifts the momentum and then it was just all go for us and I think Tuka, Tuka got that try and she scored a hat trick in that game, yeah. unheard of for a, a front row array. <laughs> no one really scores hat tricks like that anymore. And yeah, it was just such such an awesome feeling when when Vic kicked that ball out. And you know, looking around the girls, the excitement we had our our DDs, um, or our scouts running on from the field, and and um, just to know that we had actually had family members and friends that had travelled across to see us play that final. That was pretty special to to be able to do that in front of them as well. Yeah, I think um, everyone was pretty relaxed and um, we knew that we could do it. We knew that we'd done all the prep. So it was a really, really special moment for our team to be able to put everything on the field and then uh, get the result that we were after. And that change room afterwards, eh? Complete, a complete change around from those years earlier. It must have been. <laughs> and I often wonder, mm. I often think you know, about the coach, Grant Moore, like um, when you're at, God, sometimes a group of girls can make a lot of noise and can chat about a lot of things, you know, and how do you, like, it must have been chaos in the change rooms afterwards. Must have been so excited. Mm, he always, moans about, always moans about how much we talk, eh? Yeah. <laughs> turkeys, he oh, calls GM, us. Yeah. Turkeys. Gobbling turkeys. Uh, yeah, it was, it was excitement. There was an, an incredible feeling of relief, um, having been able to, to achieve that gold and, yeah, exhaustion, um, <laughs> I actually think I was just sitting down for a bit after we'd had all our photos and, and the cup had been passed around and we'd, we were singing Wyata and yeah, I think I just had to sit down and just take in the moment because it was it was huge for us. Yeah, I think all the emotions were running high and um, just everyone, that sense of relief and, uh, you know, all that hard work has paid off, you know, everything that we had done to get there, all the sacrifices and um, things that we had done you know, was for a reason and we had we had done it. So that was amazing. So good. Well, girls, that's awesome. Thank you so much. Really appreciate your time. I know you've got a busy week this week. Good luck uh, for the game on Saturday. The pundits don't have you. You know, they've got the Chiefs. They've got the Chiefs back. So hopefully the Blues can come out there and, and uh, pull one off, eh? So who are you backing? Uh, Chiefs. Oh, what? <laughs> I'm sorry. He's adding, <laughs> adding fuel to the fire. Yeah. I live in the Bay of Plenty. Um, yeah, you stay loyal. You know, back. That's, uh, that's <laughs> your team. You got to be true to your team, don't you? So, yeah, that's but it. I just want to see a great game of footy. Um, I'm sure it will be. As I said, hopefully it's a, a dry, fast track, and you're able to go out there and, and really come together as the Blues region, which is so exciting. Um, and same for the Chiefs girls, and it flows on into something that only builds for next year. And, and actually, once we get through um, some of the issues that we have in the world at the moment, we're able to have a massive schedule leading into the World Cup next year at home in Auckland and Northland, in front of um, New Zealand rugby community, your friends and family, and you can take all those experiences that we've chatted about today and have a wicked tournament. Really good luck for that as well. Thank, Thank you, you very so much. much. Cheers, girls.